Welcome to the Disruptors Podcast. I'm Alexandria. And I'm Jasleen. We're here to disrupt the tech industry by connecting diverse job seekers with inclusive organizations where talent from communities that are underrepresented can thrive. Whether you're a job seeker who belongs to an underrepresented group, a tech employer interested in learning how to attract diverse talent, or a diversity, equity, and inclusion champion looking for resources, we have got you covered. Here's to disrupting. All right, we are live. Welcome, welcome. Today we are talking about why intolerance is so expensive. So we're really talking about the ROI for DEI. And we're joined here with Jen. We're very excited to have Jen Cronenberger with us. Um, and so I am Jasleen, if you haven't joined us before. And so I'm a career coach. And I specialize in women's career development. And yeah, I'll pass it on over to Alexandria if you want to introduce yourself. Yeah, I am Alexandria. I am an executive leadership coach. I work specifically with people from underrepresented communities. My favorites are those who are new to leadership so that we can get you on the right path and that human centeredness from the get go. I am also the co founder with Jasleen of The Disruptors, a job board that supports those underrepresented communities finding companies they can thrive in. And we are so excited to have Jen with us today. And we're going to let her tell you a little bit about her. Awesome. So good to be with you all. Uh, I'm Jen Kronberger, and my company is called Jalen Consulting Group. Uh, we work with companies, large and small, uh, really talking about leader, uh, leadership and culture. Um, my background is in sports and human performance psychology, and some of my clients have included professional athletes and seven-year-old kids. <laughs> Everything in between uh, is where I kind of uh, found that it was all the same stuff. And all of that is to say, you know, I think it's, it's so much about how we show up every day um, that creates our culture and really lays the foundation for the kind of leader we can be. And I think that all of that has been so critically important moving forward in my career. And I know, you know, growing my business and working with companies, large global companies, even um, at that level to say, you know, there's, there's a human element here that we often miss when we're talking numbers. Um, and that's really our focus. We focus on bringing that human side back into business and, um, you know, building leaders and cultures that are more inclusive and more uh, empathetic and compassionate. That's the focus. Yeah, I love that. But whole human first element, right? Like that shift, that third evolution of leadership that we're in right now, moving very originally from business first or business only really into a business first. Like, yeah, I mean, we we get you're a human. You can have humanness outside of nine five. But now being in that human first element specifically, I think is, is we're in the moment of it and we might as well capitalize. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And one of the reasons we really wanted to talk about this today the cost of it is not to really take away from that human element, mm-hmm. but to really create an urgency around this. Because I feel like, and I spent over a decade of my career in HR, and so I've always been passionate about DEI work. And it always has felt like it's competing with the other business needs, right? Mm-hmm. And so today we're here to really talk about, this isn't about DEI being in competition or being human centered, being in competition with, you know, increasing your margins and really, you know, outperforming your competitors in terms of financials. I think that's where there's this misconception of, okay, if we're going to do all of these are like a nice to have, you know, the touchy feely stuff. (laughs) And so especially for the leaders who are joining us today, who have struggled with this in in terms of, you know, being like, okay, it's the right thing to do, but really kind of lighting a fire under all of your leaders in your organization, because, you know, it was a joke with um, one of my previous leaders, we'd call it like pushing the wet noodle. It was, it's just so hard to get people engaged. And so, and and it speaks to one of the things we talk about a lot is like really having to have that, 
really authentic vision and why for why you're doing this work, but also how we're integrating it with the business. So really that brings us to our first question is around what are the hidden costs of not investing in DEI? What should companies really be thinking about here? So I'm going to take us back real quick because you brought up touchy feely. And I want to just share this really quickly, my story uh, about that, because I think this really brings us into where we are now. Um, I remember when I first started my speaking career, um, probably, I don't know, 12, 14 years ago, something like that. And uh, I got a phone call from a woman who was found me online, wanted to hire me. And I remember it was one of the first, you know, big speaking engagements that I had done. And Um, I was helping a friend move and I'm literally standing in the back of a moving truck when she called sweating, you know, the whole thing. And I answered the phone and and she said, uh, you know, I wanted to talk to you about hiring you for this event. And I thought, okay, um, let me get into a quiet space. I get in the front of the truck, shut the door. Now it's mid July in the Northeast. I'm sweating and sitting in this box. (laughs) And so, um, as we're talking and, you know, we're, we're having a pretty good conversation. I was feeling really good about it. And, you know, we talked fee and all of that. And I thought, wow, this is, this is awesome. And then at the very end, she said, so one more thing, I don't want anything too touchy feely. Our people aren't really like that. (laughs) And I remember the, the moment where I was like, did she just say too touchy feely? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm picturing like this room full of robots or something like what, what are we really saying here? Mm-hmm. And from that, you know, I started to recognize that that's that, that idea of saying we have to be two different people in the workplace mm-hmm. is, is long gone. It needs to be long mm-hmm. gone. If it's not long gone in your, in your workspace, we are whole people. Mm -hmm. And when we walk out the door and into our workspace, wherever that is, even if you work from home, who you are in those moments is not someone else. Mm -hmm. It can't be. No. Because what we're seeing today is this onslaught of, you know, people leaving in droves, people uh, changing jobs, people walking out, people just saying, no, I've, I've had enough. Mm-hmm. And the number one reason we're seeing this happen is toxic culture. So, mm-hmm. you know, Bank of America um, Global did some research that I found interesting. This was recent. And they published a, published a report about um, really what this is, the price of lack of diversity uh, mm-hmm. in American companies they were looking at specifically. And they broke it down into three categories, Okay. And what was fascinating to me is looking at how it affects each category. One of them was looking at the U.S. economy as a whole. And that's a big topic today, right? Where we stand in the economy and and what's happening for us. And while there's different numbers floating around, one was, you know, $23 trillion in in U.S. GDP, $70 trillion um, in economic output. 172 trillion in lifetime earnings over the the lifespan. It doesn't really matter how it's measured. What was interesting is that it limits national economies and it reduces GDP. That mm-hmm. that to me is what I took away. I thought, wow, okay, so this is this is far reaching. This is not just, you know, at the local store down the street. I mean, this affects everyone. Mm-hmm. For companies, Bank of America found what we've already known for, for a long time now, those of us, especially in this space, the lack of diversity leads to less innovation, mm-hmm. weaker revenue, weaker cash flows. And the big one right now, like I just mentioned, is lower employee retention. Mm-hmm. And that's an issue. So if we know that's an issue <laughs> and we're seeing that this is something that that is absolutely a catalyst for that, yeah, why are we not solving it? Right. And then let's go to the individual, because that to me is, I believe, where everything begins is -hmm. our own personal, um, you know, space in this. And so for individuals, a lack of diversity causes, you know, you think think across the board. um, It's a detriment to educational Mm -hmm. outcome, 
to physical and mental health, which is a huge thing right now. I mean, I could probably spend all day talking to you about burnout and mental health today. Um, you're seeing that across the board. Uh, lifetime earnings, lifetime achievement, wealth mm -hmm. disparity that's passed down over generations. I mean, all of this individually affects us so incredibly greatly that to not act yeah. is a is a trickle effect to to you know the entire um, population. Yeah. And even like, you know, we've made strides when it comes to diversity. And I think a lot of organizations want to be like, okay, we're done. We're going to pat ourselves on the back. Right. We're one of the good guys. We've got all these folks. But if they don't have that real, like that culture that where people yeah. feel like they can belong, or if they still at certain levels don't have a critical mass of representation of each group, yeah. there's studies that show that until there's that critical mass, and I can't, I don't know what the magic number is. Maybe it's 30%. I've, I've heard different numbers mm -hmm. out there, but there's the, the, what happens is for that underrepresented group is they tend to model or code switch yeah. the behaviors of the dominant group. And right. so if we're really trying to get after innovation and, right. and make more money in terms of disrupting in our industry, then diversity isn't enough. And I think that's why it's so important to, have this conversation with you, Jen, because it's about also that belonging piece. Because yeah. I know you you speak yeah. a lot about belonging and how how can leaders really know, like how do how do they get on this path? That's a great question and a huge question. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm going to try to <laughs> try to make it uh, as succinct as possible for you, uh, from my opinion anyway. So. One thing that we've seen, and again, going back to um, the summer of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and, and walking through that in this country, watching that unfold, watching it happen, um, you know, listening to uh, it, it, it ignited this racial reckoning, reckoning right? Mm -hmm. it, it's, it was something that needed to happen. It was something that was too late, obviously, um, in happening. But it, it also, not only are they challenging conversations, but they're valuable conversations to be having um, and we need to be having them. So we started to see that happen. But what I, what I noticed, and I think all of us can attest to this are exactly what you're saying, Jasleen, those companies that said, Hey, you know what? We need to do something. We need to say something. We got to put a sign out. We got to put a something on our website, uh, you know, and put out our flag, have a DEI summit, something we got to do something. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that is now we're a few years removed and what actions have happened? We're watching, you know, companies who just put all this money into that start to cut yeah. budgets for that. I'm watching it happen. Mm -hmm. And you're thinking, yeah. you know, <laughs> okay, was that it? So you just threw a whole lot of money at it to check a box. Yeah. Guess what? Your people feel that. They know that. And they're watching it happen too. Mm -hmm. And when that happens now, the diversity piece, that's simple. That's a head count, right? Mm -hmm. That's looking at, you know, who's in the organization mm -hmm. and that that's easily fixable. Mm -hmm. What's not is the feeling that goes along with this. Mm -hmm. And when we start to talk about inclusion and belonging, I think now we're talking about that whole human element that we miss when we're just looking at numbers, Right. So um, there was some research. Um, his name was Evan Carr, I want to say, um, off the top of my head. I think it was Evan Carr. And he did research on, uh, he's a behavioral analyst, and he did some research on the cost mm. of, um, you know, belonging, of, of what it looks like when you actually have high belonging in the workplace. One of the things that that belonging was actually linked to, high belonging was linked to, was a 56 increase, 56% increase in job performance, mm -hmm. a 50% drop in turnover risk, and a 75% reduction in sick days. Now, wow. If you think about that, he went on to talk about for a 10,000 person company, that's like the equivalent of saving over $52 million a year. Yeah. It's huge. So the the business case for belonging 
is enormous. Mm -hmm. The opportunities to create that and not just talk about it. Yeah. Also enormous. <laughs> we have a lot of work to do. Yeah. And at the same time, I think, you know, as we start to do it, going back to what I started talking about where, you know, checking the boxes hasn't been enough. Look, just, just saying that you have a DEI department or you change policies or whatever it is, isn't enough. Mm -hmm. It's just not enough because what's happening now is, you know, it, it's almost like I equate it to trying to plant a tree on concrete. It's not going to take hold. It's not going to work. And that's what we saw happen. Mm -hmm. We have to make sure that you're watering the soil, you're, you know, tilling the soil, you have the sun, you have the right angles, all of the things that you need to make that grow. Well, that's your culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what culture is, right? And so if you don't have the culture to be able to sustain that work, it's never going to work. And actually, you might do more harm than good. Yeah, I really appreciate pointing out the whole, the checking in the box, right? We did the thing, we had the committee, yep. we whatever. Yep. If you don't follow through, if you don't invest in it, in the time and the money and all the pieces that need to be there, it does cause more harm. Absolutely. And people get excited and they're like, okay, things are changing. I have hope again. Right. Every time somebody's like, I have hope and then it's crushed, it is way harder to come back and have that hope again and to trust so again. True. It's like, so true. Just do it from the get-go and you don't know what you don't know, right? And which is why we are here at the Disruptors, why you are doing the work that you are doing. We're here to help with all the pieces that you don't know. Maybe you don't know what that sun looks like. You don't know what tilling the ground looks like. Yep. That's okay to ask for help and to admit that you don't know. Yeah. And start with, hey, we need help. Great. There's plenty of resources to get that help. Unfortunately, uh, leaders are are not always really good at that, especially when it comes down to those emotional topics, right? Um, I just saw something actually talking about burnout, which is so closely related to what we're talking about today about compassion and empathy and really understanding the human side. And it was astonishing to me. It was something like 95% um, of those that were studied, it was um, through Harvard Medical, uh, said that they had experienced some kind of burnout over the last year, 95%. Uh, 30-some percent said it was really bad. And then 11%, only 11% out of the 95% asked for help or did anything about it. That was eye-opening to me because I'm like, yeah. well, that explains so many things. <laughs> we have developed a culture in, in, in this society that um, it's not okay to not be okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, for help, it's it's we that's weakness, right? Um, Brene Brown talks a lot about vulnerability and how you know most of us were raised believing that that's weakness. Mm -hmm. It's real strength, yeah. and we have to get to that place where we can talk openly about these things, where yeah. we can discuss you know how this stuff affects us mentally, physically, emotionally, and why it does. And those are the conversations we need to be having. Yeah. And and really bringing it back to the ROI conversation as well, because obviously, okay. like, if this is how your employees feel, like, yeah. you do not want this to be going on this way. We want to have psychological safety. We want to have all these great things. But thinking about the cost, because we're talking about retention, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And so the recruiting cost, the cost of training and onboarding yeah. a new employee the cost, like it, it's just it, the administrative costs, the, the, the gap in terms of performance, all of that is, is super important to remember. And I know I watched your Ted talk, Jen, and, and a, a stat that really st stuck out for me is because we're not just seeing people leave, we're seeing people check out, but stay mm -hmm. in the company. Mm -hmm. And so we've heard yeah. about this quiet quitting. It's not a new concept necessarily, yeah. But it's become um, very much a norm to say, okay, if the company's not going to be loyal to us, we're not going to be loyal to them. And I think the 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 study that you quoted in the TED Talk was Gallup, and mm -hmm. that said eighty five percent of people are disengaged from work. Mm -hmm. And so, what? Let's talk about the cost, the how expensive that is to a business, and 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 what leaders should be doing about it. 
So what was so interesting, uh, and I think that report was, you know, the what I quoted in the TED Talk was pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, when I when I started doing research for that specific talk, uh, <laughs> I was really focused on understanding why is this happening, first mm-hmm. of all. And second of all, the epidemic of loneliness mm-hmm. that had really started to um, get some some traction and was, was being declared an epidemic by psychologists around the world. So during that period of time, I was looking at it from a standpoint of, you know, if we're looking at people in the workplace who are feeling this idea of loneliness, now being lonely and, uh, you know, being alone are two different things, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of times we think, oh, you can't be lonely. You're in a, you're in a room full of 50 people. Well, <laughs> guess what? I've been in a room full of 50 people before and felt completely lonely, right? So I think um, what was fascinating about that is that our tendency to shy away from those things to, you know, just keep it to, hey, let's talk numbers. Let's, you know, we come on these meetings and we discuss um, where are we? What are our goals? Are you hitting your metrics? Blah, blah, blah. Right. Mm-hmm. The very first question we should be asking when we get into a meeting as a leader is how are you doing? Mm. How are you? And waiting for a response. We use the words, how are you as like in passing, right? I don't know mm-hmm. if you ever do it, but I've done it right. Like, Hey, how are you? And you just keep walking. And it's like, did you ask me a question? Or are you just, yeah, you really don't care. Right. So we have to not use that as a pleasantry. That needs to actually be a question. Totally. I've seen so many leaders ask the question, but not be prepared for the answer. Well, here's here's the thing with that. Let Let me just take this one step further. What I encourage people to do is, how are you? Okay. And then, you know, what will you get? You'll get, um... Well, it's Wednesday. It's cold out there, isn't it? Doing okay. You know, we we kind of do that. And then we should ask the second question, which is, how are you doing really? And as a leader, I want to lead with, you know, hey, it's been a rough time, hasn't it? You know, I've struggled too. Yeah. I want to lead with that vulnerability and empathy because I have to, you know, going back to what you mentioned at psychological safety, Leaders who can build that, uh, the strongest, I think, have the best results. Yeah. Because with psychological safety, it can't exist without uh, trust, right? Psychological safety, vulnerability, all of these pieces exist in the hands of trust. And so when we're building trust, well, what does that mean? That means as a leader, my words and actions match. When I say that this is important to our company, I mean it. Mm -hmm. And I follow it up, not just with words or with, you know, a nice phrase on the website, but I follow it up with action. Right. I mean, let's be honest. Nothing changes until behaviors change. Yeah. And so what are those behaviors? That's, that's what we focus on. What are those behaviors that we need to really build out? Yeah, I love what you said. Like it takes time too, because mm-hmm. yeah. you might try this and yeah. you might get nothing. And you might say again, no, really, how are you? And get nothing. And so don't take that as, right. oh, I must be doing a great job. I'm going to pat myself on the back, check in the box, DEI mm-hmm. done. The silence or no feedback is a signal that you've done a lot to break trust. And so it's going to take a lot more time to build that trust back. I think that is really important when you're in a space and not even like, it might not have been you, it could have been the organization as a whole Mm -hmm. has done things to, because I've definitely experienced this going into a new client population where there were things that were out of my control that happened before I was there and the trust was just gone. Right. And so sometimes it might take a whole year to build that trust back up, especially with what we're seeing with how, you know, companies are dealing with layoffs these days. Right. Like that is a huge, that's a huge yeah. takeaway from trust. That's yeah. a huge takeaway from psychological safety. Plus, when we're talking about underrepresented groups where there isn't that critical mass and you don't have that diversity or you don't have that support 
or or freedom to be authentic in the workplace right. there there's there's trust like as a society that has been lost correct and that's Absolutely. coming into these spaces and and understanding yeah i did raise my hand before I did say what was wrong and what I was noticing and either I was ignored or I was punished directly or indirectly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's there. It may not have even been your organization. We are also dealing with people who have been dealing with the business first culture for a very long time. Right. So what harm came before that now we have the opportunity to heal and the, the ability to have the patience for that and hold the space for it. And that's it. That's it. I think you just touched on something really important. Um, Holding the space Mm -hmm. is paramount in this conversation as is really understanding empathy. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, (laughs) it's so funny, you know, I, I'm, so fascinated by the idea of empathy versus sympathy and, and all of that conversation that we could have. Um, what I found to be true with empathy is we aren't good at it. We just aren't good at it. Um, I think that we have, we all have an innate ability to feel empathy. Mm. Um, I think we we know what just like we know kind of what belonging feels like, right? Um, which is, you know, you go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs that's in the center. Love and belonging is a is a basic human need. This is not people just whining because, you know, they feel left out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is real. And empathy, I think, sits in the hands of that, which is why um, we, what we created was, and we call it the brave human leadership model. Brave stands for belonging, resilience, authenticity, vulnerability, and empathy. Mm, I love that. And for us, why we, we created this was because exactly what I was talking about before with the checking of the boxes, with mm-hmm. the DEI, um, you know, putting that out there and saying, Hey, yeah, we're going to do this, but not having the culture to, to, to be able to, you know, let that grow and Mm -hmm. the brave leaders to sustain the culture. Mm. And so we've really set out to work with companies to help create that brave culture Mm -hmm. and help create leaders who can actually sustain that culture in your workplace. And what we're watching, um, you know, for me, I think what lights me up every single day is watching change happen is watching those light bulbs go off for people who, maybe really didn't think about the fact that empathy is a learned skill. Mm-hmm. It is a learned skill. It's something that we, like I said, we, I think we have an innate ability to know it's there, to feel it, to know what it feels like, but I'm not sure truthfully if we have ever really been taught it, so to speak. Yeah. I think we can learn it. Yeah. By actually sitting down and saying, wait, okay, so what does that look like? How can I practice it? Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, part of our program is, is sitting. I mean, we have these compassionate listening circles and we sit and, and actually really learn how to listen. That's the biggest part of empathy mm-hmm. yeah. is knowing how to listen and to sit in the space with them to hold that space and not have to rush to fix it. Right. I Jen- think that you brought up right there is that, there's like twofold. I think that we do get taught some empathy skills like mm-hmm. as kids, mm-hmm. but then it's actively taught out of us mm-hmm. once we reach school, right. once we reach work, right. to yeah. be highly individualistic, to be driven, to like, right. you got to get yours before anybody else. That's right. And so we have all of these triggers and associations that then encourage us to not be empathetic. Exactly. Yeah. But- That's what I mean, as far as you know, as we as we grow through this process of all of those things that you just mentioned, I mean, I worked with competitive, com, yeah, excuse me, competitive athletes for a long time. That would show up sometimes. You know, mm-hmm. it was like I have to be number one. That's what I'm here to do. Mm-hmm. So reminding, you know, finding that empathy, finding that grace and compassion was paramount to be able to practice those skills. But yeah, I think yeah. that it's something we have to relearn. I love that we're talking about the practice. One of the quotes that really resonated for me, Jen, in your TED Talk was 
compassion is empathy mm. in action. Yeah. And so what re, what the the parallel that I drew was when we talk about it's not enough to be not racist. So right. I think a lot of people say, you know what, I'm not racist. I'm right. empathetic, right? Empathy right. is not enough. Yeah. Right? We need to have compassion as well and mm -hmm. and the bravery like you said to mm -hmm. actually act upon that empathy. Yep. And that's what it takes to be actively anti-racist or actively right. anti-homophobic or actively yeah anti-misogynistic right and so yeah. it's not enough to say yeah i really care about those women right. struggling or that you know the black community struggling or that community over there i'm very mm -hmm. empathetic mm -hmm. but my my compassion is centered around myself i'm only going to act yeah. when it is serving me or the business and so and like really coming back to this this whole roi conversation mm -hmm is it can be both. Mm -hmm. It can be centered around marginalized groups and centering it around the work, the, mm -hmm. the, the action that needs to happen mm -hmm. and benefit your business, but it needs to be done authentically. It needs right. to be centered around those who need it most. Right. It needs to be done with an equity lens instead of, okay. right? And so I don't know, what do you think? Because I... I Another thought that came to me, Jen, was why are we seeing so many leaders that lack empathy? Mm. When we know this is like a universal thing that as humans, we all have it. Sure. Why are we seeing a lack of it in action in leadership or even inherent to the leaders that we are promoting? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I wish there was an easy answer, but here's what I see in working with companies that um, might struggle with that a little bit. There is such a pressure right now, especially right now, put on leaders to perform. Mm -hmm. um, it goes back to that idea of, you know, if you're not busy, you're not successful, right? Mm -hmm. It's that whole, um, I have to be working 24 seven. Now I'm going to be completely honest and vulnerable and authentic. I struggle with that. I'm trying really hard to break myself of that. I should be working when I'm not, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and it's really easy to get into that when you own your own business. Right. So, you know, my team literally will say, go, yeah. <laughs> take a breath. We got this. And I need to hear that sometimes, but that practice, I think, you know, finding the focus, um, mm -hmm. on the numbers, on the results, on the output, on, you know, we're jockeying for position to try to get into, um, you know, different markets where, you know, and, and if I'm a big company, I am trying to, you know, not just, uh, attract the right people, but keep them. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm struggling with today. So, we're forgetting, I think, sometimes that by by wanting to do that, attracting and keeping the right people is actually about the people and not the numbers, mm -hmm. right? I, I say it all the time. A, a company's greatest asset will always be their people. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Well, what that means is that you can't have anything else without the people, right? Mm -hmm. The numbers don't happen without the people. Mm -hmm. You can look at any tech company in the world, any AI any of that, you still need people. <laughs> you still need the people. And that human aspect, I, a friend of mine um, has a, a really amazing business where she's in the tech industry, but really focusing on, you know, how do we think forward? Uh, how do we think about tomorrow while really focusing and, and utilizing the strengths of, of our people today? Mm -hmm bringing that into that next step. So, you know, I think there's something to be said about, again, going back to the root of everything we do. Mm -hmm. And that's the people. Mm -hmm. It's focusing on humanity and focusing on how can we show up as our best selves in spite of it all, in the middle of whatever, because some days my best is here. Other days it's here. <laughs> other days it's here. And that is okay. Having a leader say that to you changes the whole landscape of everything. Mm -hmm. right? It gives you the permission. It gives you that grace and compassion to show up authentically mm -hmm. and say, hey, I'm going to give everything I have. It just might be less today because yeah. 
or I just, you know, I'm going through something at home or whatever the situation is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's, it's critical that we, we're doing that. We're doing that more effectively. Yeah. We're human. We're human and we need rest. We need space. We need compassion. Okay. We need all of these things to thrive. And I love like kind of going back to your metaphor of having that right environment. Yeah. And so what if we were to shift from this mindset of, and I just see this so much, especially in the tech industry of hiring for fit, like as if there's like this, you're a cog in the wheel and you need to stay. But like, when you think about it from that aspect of Mm -hmm. like, okay, we're going to put people in and we're going to have them fit our culture and be a cog in the wheel. Where is the agility in that, in what you're building? Where's the innovation? Where's the creativity? Where is the joy? Where's the engagement? Where's the space? for creative tension to get you from where you are to where you need to go as a business. And so it takes out so much that we know and that we, as leaders, we're, we're working on these skills of storytelling and all these, right. all these tools that center around the human, that center mm-hmm. around emotions. Yet why are we operating and trying to treat the people within the organization as if they aren't human makes no sense no it doesn't and even if you think about commercials and ads and all of those things most often what are they focused on they're focused on emotion they're going to pull at you one way or another whether it's funny or it's you know you really feel it there's some sort of emotional pull to why we put things out there that's storytelling right i say all the time you know i think become the best storyteller you can of your own story yeah you bring that to the table to a, a company that is built of storytellers. Well, now, you know, yeah, innovation can't not happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it's, we're bringing all these different perspectives. I mean, every single one of us look through different lenses when we see the world, right? We mm-hmm. all have different experiences about things. We have different backgrounds. We have different beliefs. We've grown up differently. All of those things. And we call them our belief windows. Mm-hmm. And when I look through my belief windows, they're going to be completely different than yours. Mm-hmm. What I think we have to be good at is saying, hey, you know what? Come with me and let's look at this together. Mm-hmm. Let me see as best I can by you telling your story through your lens so that I can yes. understand. Seek to understand. Yes. Seek to listen. Yes. That's, I love that. I love that. That's a big distinction. And I, I will, you know, being vulnerable, I, back in the day, I was a terrible listener. And Mm -hmm. I think that came from my own culture, you know, in, in the Indian culture, there's a lot of talking over people being very loud. And I learned at a young age that I needed to interject to be heard. And it almost comes from a survival state as well. And so recognizing that culture for me, I really needed to, you know, listen to understand and take a beat and say, have I really understood everyone's perspective in the room as a leader? Have I really understood or am I coming from a place of ego and fear where I'm afraid that if I don't have all the answers where I'm afraid that I have to explain and like going back to, you know, the asking, how are you? No, really, how are you? Mm-hmm. And like, you have to create the space. You have to mm-hmm. shut up. You have to, yeah. you really have to. And that can be super uncomfortable Absolutely. if you haven't done it before, because you're going to hear a lot of things that you don't like and that you haven't heard before, but it's part of building that muscle of empathy is depersonalizing from someone else's experience, right? Their experience is their experience. You don't automatically have to start defending yourself or, or justifying or like, it's not a question when, when people are telling you that they have been hurt, when they have been harmed, when they have, you know, been led down a path of mistrust that. It, 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 some of that does have to do with you, but it, in mm-hmm. that conversation, it shouldn't be anything about you. It should yep. be the listening. It should be the validating yep. because that's what I see a lot in, in our culture is 
we invalidate people, not because we want to invalidate them. It's because we're protecting ourselves. We're protecting our, yeah. our, our vulnerability. Um, I think that points out that intention and impact are not the same thing. And right. to keep that in the forefront all the time, yeah. right? You maybe didn't intend to cause harm to somebody. You didn't intend to shut somebody's idea down, or you didn't intend to isolate or to not include someone. Doesn't mean you didn't. That's right. And it doesn't mean that that's not their experience. And it's funny that you talk about the interjection and the talking mm -hmm. over and that being how you were brought it into the world. I was brought into the exact opposite. Right? <laughs> so I actually struggle to interject sure. and I actually struggle to speak up because the culture I was brought up in is I was meant to be seen and not heard. Mm -hmm. And then if I had something to say, it had better be on point yep. and yes. unfallible. Yeah. But most likely just not say anything at all. Yeah. And even this far into my life, doing a lot of unpacking, being a therapist originally, right. it's still there. It's still short. I think that's why the corporate world was so hard on me because mm -hmm. I was raised to have a yeah. voice. I was raised in a diplomatic family where you were allowed to have a different opinion. Mm -hmm. And then I was conditioned to be like, no, you can't have a different opinion unless you have a PowerPoint of data that proves <laughs> to us. And so like, and yeah, I did get good at presenting data and, and facts around this, but then that was a really, that was a path to burnout for what, you know, wasn't yeah. always my core role or, you know, as an HR generalist, especially trying to bring DEI to the center while everyone's trying to push it to the margins. It was just yeah. exhausting, right? Well, you know, it's fascinating about what you both just said um, and, and seeing, again, those are your belief windows, right? You come from mm -hmm. two totally opposite places. Um, and I think I can relate probably to both of you, oddly enough, uh, I was the youngest of five children, mm -hmm. all four of them, a lot older than me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they'd be talking and having, and I was just this little thing that they were like, go away. You have nothing valid to say that matters to this conversation. That's how it felt to me as a child. Anyway, mm -hmm. uh, again, a lot of unpacking where, you know, all of that is fun. Right. Um, and funny, I ended up being a speaker for <laughs> this is what I do for a living. So I guess there's something to that. Um, but what I what I find in that that's fascinating is how we how we navigate through that um, in the corporate space, mm -hmm. so being able to say, look, we all come from different places. We're all bringing that with us. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's that's not something we can leave behind. Mm -hmm. And so how do we account and make space for all of these different perspectives and yeah. backgrounds and ideas and thoughts one way? is again, you know, going back to that listening, one thing that we practice is we literally have two people face each other in, in some of our, our workshops. And one has to tell a story, one's the storyteller, and they share about a time when um, they had to overcome something in their life. Mm -hmm. And the other person can only ask questions, clarifying questions, but can't interject, can't say, oh, I know about that. I had, it's not about you in that moment. Mm -hmm. You're just listening. Mm -hmm. And it is so powerful to watch when these people just kind of lean into each other and they're listening. And then we debrief at the end and how many people say, gosh, that was really hard. Mm. I don't know if I've ever done it quite like that before. Mm -hmm. You know, I've never really listened at that level or, yeah. you know, it was hard to not give those moments of like, oh, I feel you, you know, not to give any of that yeah. feedback too. That was weird. And I said, well, imagine though, just being able to sit and not have your voice be the one that's heard to elevate the voice of the people that we need to hear their stories. Mm -hmm. We need them to be telling their stories in the workplace and, and understanding that listening to that and be able to say, even if, if it's, you know, tell me more, mm -hmm. Yeah, tell me more. I use those words all the time. I want to yeah. understand. Tell me more. I love those, love those three words. Yeah. And I think, and, you know, going back to like my coach education, we, we learn about the levels of listening, yeah. right? And, and yeah. most people won't get to that highest level of listening, but that's what we should be striving for is not just listening to the words, right. but paying attention to the body language, mm -hmm. paying attention to the trends and the stories and the things that aren't being said. Mm -hmm. Right. Because there's a reason why they're not being said. It, it, it could be because 
it's something that's unconscious to them, or it could be a symptom of an environment that lacks right. psychological safety. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. I mind the Project Oxygen that Google did and the research study that showed of all the different leadership skills, the number one predictor of good leadership was coaching skills. Yep. Right? And so being able to sit in that moment and ask clarifying questions, if you don't know anything about coaching and you've never been trained in it, its core is curiosity and questions. That's it. And you don't even have to be trained as a coach to be able to ask clarifying questions and right. to just understand and be able to hold that space for somebody to just be heard in and of itself is powerful. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And judgment and curiosity cannot coexist. I was just, be, that's what I was going to say. They can't be fully activated at the same time. That's been a like a good mental model for me yeah. because if I'm yeah. trying to listen to respond or if I'm right. now thinking about, oh, I, and it's coming from a good place often, right? Sure. Like, I went through that. And so right. I want to share this with you. Yep. Yep. But that's not, that's not true empathetic. That's not true empathy. Right. That's it's, sympathy. I'm right. sympathizing it's with sympathy, you. But you're not decentering yourself. Right. And what I found in those moments where I can remove my ego and truly listen is that the, their experience is quite unique and their path will be quite unique and their strengths are unique. There's so much, like not just the belief windows that are differing, but also that, you know, the core values and and who that person is and, mm -hmm. and what value they are going to add to your work environment Absolutely. when you give them full reign to be authentic and perform mm -hmm. in the way that they were meant to. So uh, I want to just mention something about values because you just brought it up. And I think that that's um, it's such a core of what we talk about as well. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I think is so fascinating is I, I do this exercise where I ask, and this is usually kind of in the beginning where we're trying to figure out, uh, you know, I, I believe strongly that as a leader, you can't lead anyone anywhere until you know where you're going and who you are. Yeah. And so we get really focused on that in the beginning. Mm -hmm. One of the questions that I ask, uh, and I have them just kind of stand up, walk around the room, find somebody you don't know, and ask one simple question, who are you? Mm -hmm. So I give them a minute. They talk to each other. They come back, and then I just pick some people. Okay, so who did you meet? Oh, I met Amy. All right, what can you tell me about Amy? She's a mom. She's a um, data analyst. She's a, you know avid golfer. She's a, all of these things. She's a wife. She's a sister. She's a great friend. And I say, okay, great. Who did you meet? And we go through the thing and it's always the same stuff, right? We give the list of, of who we think we are. Mm -hmm. What always fascinates me, and this is part of that, taking that next step to values is, is that really who you are or is that what you are? Mm-hmm. Because that list are the roles that you play for everyone else in your life. Yes. Right? That's not who you are. Yeah. That's what you are. So now to answer who you are, we have to talk about non-negotiables. We have to talk about those values, those, those uh, you know, things that you don't compromise for anybody. Yeah. You know, it's faith. It's integrity. It's whatever it is for you. Everybody has those. Mm -hmm. This is all a part of belonging. <laughs> this is all a part of understanding why this stuff is so critically important. Yeah. Why this, this makes, you know, businesses who focus on this stuff are exponentially way ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the ROI is, is, uh, you know, it's so big that I think those companies are like, Hey, we get it. <laughs> We're off and running. And you know, what's fascinating. A lot of those companies are the ones that hire us yeah. because they're like, we want to, we, we get it. We're in it. We have the money because we know it's important. We have to spend money on this because it's about spending money on people. Yeah. And so how can you help us take care of our people? Drawing attention to what you just said, right? The profitability that comes from investing in these things is yeah. huge, right? And I actually have noticed we've used ROI a whole bunch of times for accessibility's sake. That's return on investment. Yes. In the world. Thank you. Thank um, you. <laughs> I was like, hey, we've said that a lot. I know. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, your return on investment. So what you're what you're investing yeah. into the business, 
you're going to get a return on it. And so the right. same goes for DEI. There's actually a financial return that you're going to get from investing. Thanks for that. Equity and inclusion. So the who do invest in diversity, equity, and inclusion are seeing 30 to 35% yeah. more profit the companies okay. that aren't. That's so you're right. moving money on the table. Mm-hmm. And to just recap some of the other costs that we've talked about, retention, right? To bring yeah. in a new employee, if we're just talking about base average for uh, recruiting, administration, all of that stuff, it costs just over $4,000 per yeah. person that you need to bring back into your organization. And then the hidden costs of lost knowledge and reshuffling of teams and production that is lost, it can cost you 213% more than the annual salary of that employee to then replace them. Mm. So there are very serious financial costs and consequences of not doing this investment and the money being left on the table, which I know that it's hard to conceptualize and be like, oh, well, I didn't have that money anyway, but your lack of innovation, your stagnation, and what happens when your company falls so far behind that you're no longer competitive in the market and you close. That's right. You're, you're really at that point. Um, you know, you lose a lot, you lose a lot. I mean, just from a a standpoint of not being competitive, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can see the numbers and the research being done about, you know, especially our, um, as people start to come into the workplace, uh, our you know, newer generations coming into the workplace and how many people you ask these questions, what do you want to see in a company? Mm-hmm. The top answer is I want to feel like my company stands for something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want a strong sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. I want these things to be a priority to the company that I serve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, you know, <laughs> that alone, again, going back to uh, even just attracting the right people, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You're not going to attract those people if that's not a priority in your company. Or if you're not clear about it, right? If you're not clear in your own executive team, because it comes from the top down. Yes. And you're all your microcultures across your departments and right. everything you have going on. If you're not clear about that, then you can't convey that out. And then people don't know. And I think the other thing that I want to highlight here is not all cultures are the same. Not all cultures are a fit for everyone, right? What I value as a company that is prioritizing belonging for me does not mean it's going to be perceived the same way as Vaseline or as you, Jen. That's right. We all have different needs. And so there isn't a cookie cutter culture. There isn't a cookie cutter way to do belonging or inclusion. Exactly. You don't have to meet your people where your people are. And if that's your customers, your employees, they're your people. That's who you should be prioritizing. Interestingly yeah. enough, that is the title of the book that I'm midway through Ooh. writing. Where they are. <laughs> oh, oh, I love that. So funny. I was like, oh yeah, okay, that's perfect. That's a great plug. It's not out yet, but it's coming. Nice. Tell us a little bit more about it and then please shamelessly plug your consulting group and how people can reach you. Awesome. Well, thank you. Um, Yeah. So this book came from, uh, I I did write a book. This is my first book over here, there. (laughs) (laughs) It's called These Five Words Are Mine. Mm -hmm. And uh, after I wrote that book, I took like 10 years to decide to write the second one, Mm -hmm. Uh, not for lack of anything other than really doing this work. Uh, really took all of my time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, what I recognized was there were pieces that I really wanted to, to sit down with and get deeper on and uh, research and ask questions of you know, leaders and companies and really try to understand how we do this well. Mm-hmm. How can we do this? How can we do this better? Mm-hmm. Right? Building those relationships. And so uh, I've been working on this book, uh, hopefully, It'll be wrapped up soon and uh, and then out, um, but that will be called Meet Them Where They Are. And I'm, I'm excited for that. Um, so a lot of the work that we do, I know I touched on uh, our brave human leadership model. We just created um, a brave index and mm-hmm. it's an opportunity to really get a feel for where are you on those five components? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're putting that out into the world as we speak. We are building out uh, a brave human leadership course. Mm -hmm. And we run, which we have been doing for years, 
um, you know, different workshops. Um, we do intensives for leaders. We do, um, you know, full day, two day, even workshops for, um, you know, leadership levels. And we get creative. You know, one of the things that I, that I think in our business model that just works is spending time with people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's something that I pride myself in. Uh, when, when we work with a company, I roll up my sleeves and I start out by doing some listening sessions. Mm -hmm. I want to know what people are feeling. I want to know what really is happening. So, you know, I want to be on the ground listening and understanding so that we can help, you know, fix whatever problems there are in culture and leadership. Um, and so one of the things that I love is, you know, when I've spoken at places and people have said to me afterwards, you know, we want more of you, what can we do? How can we do that? And, you know, we've created these relationships where they have me signed on to, to run leader roundtable calls. Um, you know, I do some spot coaching. Um, I'm also a certified executive coach. So a lot of that work for me has been, um, you know, in, in what exactly that company needs. Like you said, this is not cookie cutter mm -hmm. stuff. We yeah. use our brave model, but through that, we can weave all of the, the pieces that go along with, uh, you know, the DEI journey, as well as whatever it is that you're dealing with in your company. Um, yeah. That's what we really spend time with. Yeah, I love that. I love the the meet them where they are because that's when you really start to get those light bulb moments. Right. Just conceptualizing it and hearing all of what we're saying, it 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 doesn't really start to gel or it really doesn't start to resonate and and become part of your belief system until you see it in action and you see it working. Mm -hmm. right and I think I think that's like the key is to really if you take anything from our conversation today is to really make that a part of your belief system that this is an investment in your people but it's also an investment in your business and yeah. I just want to share real quick so McKinsey did a study um, with 15 countries uh, over a thousand organizations, large organizations. And basically what they found was racially diverse companies are 36% more profitable than the other organizations in the study. And gender diverse companies are 25% more likely to outperform non-gender diverse companies. And it's interesting because only 5% of the companies were true diversity leaders when it came mm -hmm. to gender and only 15% were leaders when it came to um, having different races represented in the organization. So when you think about that, not just right. the profitability, but in terms of your competitors, right. how much room there is for you right. to really become, because when you get really good at decentering and listening and observing the trends and knowing people that's not just you know a nice thing to do it it actually is going to transform your company and i love that you know jen you you've got all sorts of tools that help people do this in practical ways and meets everyone where they are because it does need to be relevant for their business Mm -hmm. And so their people, the issues they're seeing, their demographic, what kind of representation they're seeing. Because you might say, oh, yeah, I've got lots of people of color. But are you lumping everyone into right. one category? Are there specific groups that mm -hmm. you are are not inclusive towards, that you're, you're missing something that you might be right. doing, not just with your employee group, but with your customers, right? Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well, this has been a delightful conversation and we are coming up to the top of the hour. So if you want to work with Jen and the Brave Inter um, Brave Leadership Index is interesting to you, uh, she does have her website listed right there. We will put links in the chat. 
if you know somebody who this live or a podcast would benefit, please share that with them. The podcast is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And please subscribe, follow, and rate it so that we can reach as many people as possible to hear this message. We have our checklist is a great way to get started. So you can head over to jobdisruptors.com to get that checklist. And if you are a company who needs help and support in finding what will work for your company for DEI, fill out that hire, I'm hiring form on the website and we can get in contact with you for your evaluation. Yeah. And if you're watching this on LinkedIn Live, please go to your favorite streaming service and subscribe to this as a podcast as well and share the podcast. If you're listening to this in podcast format, thank you. Please subscribe and leave a review. It would really help us with visibility and our reach. We'd be so grateful for that. All right. Well, thank Thank you everybody for joining us. We will be back next week and we hope to see you with us. Thank you. Take care. That concludes today's episode. If you want to help us disrupt the tech industry to increase the representation of diverse talent, please register and subscribe at our website, jobdisruptors.com. Also, please subscribe and leave a review for the podcast and share with DEI champions and diverse talent alike. Here's to disrupting.